0: The opinions expressed on this program represent the viewpoints of individual authors or contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of Troy University. This is eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dan Sutter. Hello, and welcome to eConversations.
1: I'm your host, Dr. Dan Sutter of the Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University. Do you know much about car repairs? What about dentistry? Plumbing? Electrical wiring? Most of us do not, and that's good. Our lack of knowledge, though, can leave us in a difficult position when it comes to reviewing the expertise and credentials of mechanics and electricians. Does the person in the lab coat talking to us truly know medicine? Or did they, as the TV commercial puts it, just stay in a holiday in Express last night? States and cities across the nation implement occupational licensing laws to help address the challenge of evaluating the expertise of alleged experts with the hope of weeding out the cracks and the fakes before they can do harm. Occupational licensing, though, is a very strong form of government intervention in a, into a market for professional services, but it's been proliferating across America over the past several decades. What are the effects of occupational licensing? And there are, are there some reforms that might make this policy better for uh, Alabama? Joining me on eConversations today is one of the nation's leading experts on occupational licensing, Dr. Edward Timmons. He's the director of the NEE Center for the Study of Occupational Licensing at St. Francis University in Pennsylvania. Dr. Timmons has offered a new, authored a new policy study for the Alabama Policy Institute on licensing in Alabama titled The Not-So-Sweet Home Alabama, How Licensing Holds Back the Yellowhammer State. Dr. Tim has earned a Master's and PhD in Economics from Lehigh University and has extensively researched and written about er occupational licensing with publications on the topic in top economics journals, including, as we'll see, one on the, the case of licensing of barbers in Alabama. He was also a panelist on a forum that the Johnson Center held on licensing in Montgomery. Well, welcome to eConversations, Ed, and thanks for joining us, Dr. Sutter. Hi. So uh, let's let's get started here. You've done a lot of research on on uh, occupational licensing, but there was one study that you published in a, a, a academic journal, which I, I think would be of interest to our audience here, and it was looking at the case of of uh, the licensing and actually there's a delicensing of, of barbers in, in Alabama. So, tell us a little bit about uh, what, what what happened here.
0: So, Alabama was the last state in the United States to license barbers, and they were also the only state in the United States to remove barber licensing. And in order to become a barber, you had to complete a minimum amount of education, you had to pass exams, and you had to pay some fees to the state. And Alabama was quite unique in that they removed this specific requirement.
1: And then I believe we ended up uh, eventually, after some number of years, relicensing barbers as well, right?
0: That's right. So we, we take advantage of that unique period between 1983 when Alabama removed barber licensing, and 2013 when Alabama eventually reinstituted uh, barber licensing.
1: you, you, the, one of the reasons for, for doing this study, as is, is, is you explained in the paper, is that sometimes you know, it's going to be easier to see the effects of, uh, of occupational licensing when licensing goes away than it is to uh, be able to see you know, when, they, when you start licensing something. So explain for us why that, that would be, be true.
0: Absolutely, so generally when new licensing laws get passed, they contain something called a grandfather provision. Mm -hmm. And what this provision allows for is that existing barbers or existing professionals will have a pathway to begin working without completing the new licensing requirements. So if this is the case, then we might not necessarily expect the effects of licensing to be observed immediately. On the other hand, with de-licensing, it's more immediate. Right away, uh, everybody has the opportunity to begin working in the profession without meeting the original licensing requirements. So we might expect the effects to be observed more quickly with delicensing as opposed to licensing itself.
1: Now, you were looking at the case of barbers, and that might immediately, like, well, you know, find, a number of our viewers might find that a little surprising because you might initially think of things licensing as applying to, to professions like medicine or, or, or lawyers, you know, you have to get your bar license or, or maybe architects where you have extreme extensive uh, study that, that's required to, to learn something. And so obviously it must not be the case since barbers, as you mentioned, are actually now licensed in every state. But it seems—is that actually a pattern that we see that, that uh, licensing applies to less, I guess, you know, less uh, some professions that aren't don't require the same amount of training as med school.
0: Absolutely. Um, if, if we were to go back several decades to the 1950s, about five percent of workers were subject to licensing, and most of those workers were doctors, dentists occupations requiring more extensive education and where there might be an argument that could be made that perhaps consumers would be exposed to some significant harm if they received treatment from an unqualified professional. But what we've observed in the decades since the 1950s is a significant expansion in licensing and now it's more like one in five workers rather mm-hmm. than five percent. It's more than 20 percent of workers that are subject to licensing, and we've seen licensing spread to barbers, massage therapists, even florists in Louisiana uh, are licensed uh, in order to begin working.
1: Now, uh, before we talk about what you found with the case of Alabama barbers, what in general would have economists found to be the the effects of, of licensing on different professions?
0: So what we've observed with respect to the effects of licensing is that if you make it harder for aspiring workers to enter the field uh, and, you know, basic supply and demand would tell us that, you know, if you restrict the supply curve, that we would anticipate that wages will rise. Mm -hmm. And that's going to materialize in the form of higher prices for consumers and potentially less access to services.
1: Now, presumably, because it would take a long time to actually go to med school or, or to, to barber school, um, you know, presumably that greater education or training is going to lead to higher quality service. And you, you could weed out the quacks. Do we see any evidence of, of that working in, in these markets?
0: It's quite mixed. Uh, there, there was one historical study that looked at licensing of midwives, uh, mm-hmm. and that did find some positive effects of licensing. But for the most part, there's very little evidence that occupational licensing improves quality. Uh, and I, I suspect that in a market like barbering, where the definition of quality is much more subjective, uh, I suspect there would be even less evidence uh, that licensing is in fact improving quality.
1: And just to, from a, a standpoint of, of economists trying to do research, when I mean, you mentioned that all states license barbers. That actually, puts us at a disadvantage, because one of the things we like to be able to do as a researcher is like, if some states license a field and others don't, you can try to make cross-state comparisons. And so you really have, uh, from a a research standpoint, there's a bit of a difficulty in in trying to figure out what's gonna happen when a, 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 a profession ends up being licensed everywhere, right?
0: That's absolutely right. And that's why I was so excited to identify Alabama as a specific case study, it really provided a unique opportunity to better understand the effects of uh, the uh, of licensing on on wages and consumers.
1: So, if you can explain a little bit to us, uh, you know what what you, what you were looking for in, in this study, looking at the Alabama barbers, and and you know what what were the effects of, of getting rid of the uh, licensing in 1983.
0: Absolutely. So, what we found is that when Alabama removed licensing, barber wages in the state fell by about 8%. We also found some evidence that the number of cosmetologists fell as well following the removal of licensing. And we also did observe some reductions in, or excuse me, some increases in the number of practicing barbers in Alabama as well.
1: Now, you, you mentioned the, um, the, the the fact with cosmetologists, so if you can explain a little bit, and you might need to explain to us exactly what a cosmetologist is, and, and then how it is that, that that could end up being related and why, as economists, we might look to, to find an effect of licensing of one profession on another.
0: Sure, so traditionally, cosmetologists primarily serve females and barbers primarily serve males, although that line has begun to blur in the last several decades. One of the unique distinctions between the two professions is that uh, barbers give shaves, uh, even though it is becoming less common, but they, they have the ability to do so. And oftentimes, cosmetologists can also do nail styling and uh, barbers generally do not have uh, that ability to do so. So they are very closely related professions, and we might expect that uh, these two services would substitute for one another. Okay. So if all of a sudden Alabama removed barber licensing, it would be as if cosmetologists potentially faced more competition as a result. So we thought it'd be interesting to take a look at how the removal of barber licensing affected cosmetologists as well.
1: And then on the, on the flip side, if you thought, thought about you know, when le- barber licensing came back in, in Alabama, w- were cosmetologists in, involved or affected by that as well?
0: Absolutely. The, the loudest voice, interestingly, in the room pushing for the reinstatement of barber licensing was in fact the Cosmetologist Association in Alabama, and in fact now uh, barbers are licensed by the Board of Cosmetology. They they definitely were very much in favor of uh, reinstituting barber licensing in the state.
1: Now, as economists, we have to go beyond simply like looking at you know, making comparisons uh, of the average wages in one state versus another because. There are other things out there that might be driving uh, wages at the same time. And so our research tries to actually go on and make sure that anything you might be able to see in terms of a simple comparison actually holds up. So if you could, tell us a little bit about the, the method that you used uh, to try to figure out, because in effect we were trying to say like, what would have happened in Alabama if they had not gotten rid of licensing? And so you know that, that's ultimately the research question, as a researcher, what you were trying to get. So tell us a little bit about how you, you went about doing that.
0: Absolutely, and you know, that, that's exactly right. What we tried to do is we tried to imagine or we tried to put together an alternative universe if you will where Alabama kept barber licensing. So we use this methodology called synthetic control and what it does is it tries to put together and this alternative version of reality if you will and it attaches weights to other states. So there might be some percentage attached to Mississippi, some percentage attached to Florida, and using that, we estimate what Alabama would have looked like had they not removed licensing, and we then compare the two. We compare what actually transpired in Alabama versus what happened in this synthetic, if you will, version of Alabama.
1: And, and that's really important again from a research standpoint we we're, we always have to try to come up with some we use the term counterfactual to describe this but it, it has to be a really credible counterfactual because you don't actually observe it and so in, in research it's because you're making all the comparisons relative to the counterfactual you just don't want to be accused of having simply made up something that is going to make you get, you get the results that you want. You have to you know, trying to come up with the most credible counterfactual that, that we can is, I mean, that's really what our research is all about, all right?
0: Absolutely, and the, the beautiful thing about synthetic control is it's data-driven. So, you know, you, you as a researcher don't really have any sort of influence. The, the data essentially guides you towards uh, attaching those weights and developing that counterfactual
1: well we want to move on to a, a, a study or a report that you uh, put out for the Alabama Policy Institute uh, earlier this year and and um and talk a little bit about what that uh, that policy does what that study did because uh in that case you, instead of doing research you were offering some uh possibilities for reform and i thought there's uh, some very intriguing ideas for how we might change the the, the process here but before we think about uh you know uh, reforms we want to mention I, I mentioned this in the intro but i wanted you if you could elaborate on this um, occupational licensing is only one of a number of different types of of interventions that the government could have in a professional services market and so there are alternatives and so uh what would be some of the alternatives that we could have if you didn't want to have licensing
0: There there are a variety of alternatives. I mean, first off, the the market itself is an excellent regulator. If uh, I'm a barber and uh, I'm doing a bad job, I'm not going to be in business for very long. Mm -hmm. Uh, Word's going to spread pretty quickly. And especially now with online reviews, uh, you know, that, that reputation matters a great deal. And if I'm providing poor quality service, Uh, It's not likely that I'm going to be in business for very long. I won't be in business for very long. Mm -hmm. Um, In between the market, which, as I said, is an excellent regulator, and licensing, which is the strictest form, you know, it's illegal to to work without meeting some minimum amount of education and requirements, you have inspections. um, And, you know, this is something that gets done in the restaurant industry. Uh, Restaurant staff, The chefs, the wait staff, they're not subject to licensing. Um, Instead, we just use certification. Mm -hmm. Um, You can have bonding. Um, Tree trimmers uh, generally are not licensed. They are licensed in some states. But uh, what we use in in this case is uh, bonding. If uh, I have somebody cut down a tree and my neighbor's property gets damaged, you know, I'll know that that tree trimmer has insurance in case something like that were to happen. Uh, You also have private certification. uh, And this is what gets used with auto mechanics. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a very well functioning private certification of auto mechanics. Uh, Auto mechanics are not subject to licensing. So, you know, there's there's a wide array, probably the the best representation of all these alternatives is uh, something called the inverted pyramid that the Institute for Justice put together. And uh, at the top of the pyramid's market competition at the bottom is licensing. And there's a whole host of other regulatory alternatives that aren't as costly and prohibitively expensive as licensing.
1: And and that's important. uh, I guess context here because uh, we have seen licensing the most extensive form of, of intervention uh, proliferate across the country, and so, and, and, and if if a group goes to a state legislature to ask for licensing, I mean, you know, you, the legislature is not a group of uh, economists or, or, or others who might be able to uh, review from an economic standpoint what's going on there. But uh, one suggestion you offer, and, and this comes uh, for, for Alabama, would be what's known as, as reciprocity of, of licensing. And, and so explain to us a, a little bit what that's about.
0: Yeah, so the reform that I recommend would entail that Alabama would simply accept the licenses of other states, and, and generally, the license holder would have to have that license for at least one year, the license would have to be in good standing, Um, but that is a straightforward way to remove a lot of the barriers that are generally associated with licensing moving from one state to another.
1: And That is one thing that research has shown is that uh, Licensing raises wages, but it also restricts mobility, right?
0: That's absolutely right. There, there's a really well done study that looks at the effects of licensing on interstate mobility, and they find that if states make it harder for individuals to move from one state to another with their licensing restrictions, that mobility declines by about
1: 7%. And there's one group that I, I know has uh, gotten some attention with uh, with regard to this uh, impact of licensing and, and restricting mobility, and that's uh, military spouses. Because, uh, I mean, first of all, if you're a doctor and you're going to move from one state to another, you're only going to do that if you get a, you know you're going to be able to either transfer your license or or get uh, get a new license once once you transfer that. But you know, if, if, if you're a spouse of somebody who has to move for another reason and you were licensed in one state, you, you, you could be in a situation where it's, you no, no longer can legally practice your uh, profession, right?
0: That's right, and military members, service members do tend to be more mobile than the rest of us. So, you know, th- this is an issue, and, and I mean, as you said, it could be completely unplanned. Uh, so the, the spouse very well might find themselves in a situation where they're not able to use the skills that they've acquired, and that hurts them. It, it hurts the rest of the members of the state as well because they don't have access to that provider's service.
1: And in the case of a, a military spouse, if, if they're likely to move on again in a few years because their spouse gets stationed somewhere else again, it, it really could be a case that is simply not worth it For the two or three years they might be in Alabama to go through the whole licensing process again, even though they were already licensed in another state. But you know, they they just don't have the ability to work while their their spouses here in Alabama, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't make sense to go through all that process for just a couple of years.
1: And uh, so. There are some, I mean, I think I've, I've, I've read this uh, carefully, that there are some professions in Alabama that do have license or, or this reciprocity accepting out-of-state licenses. But this would be, what you'd be proposing is sort of like as a, as a rule for all professions, right?
0: That's right, it sometimes gets referred to as, as universal recognition. And I should point out that Mississippi just passed this same type of reform, this legislative session, and more and more states are, are adding to the list. Uh, you know, this is a reform that I think makes good sense, and uh, you know, especially when we're thinking about military families and individuals that are more mobile, um, it, it seems to be a good common sense reform.
1: Especially since uh, this lack of mobility, uh, or when you don't respect the out-of-state license. Impacts a handful of people very hard, and it can be a real hardship. And you know, I, and I know there's even research showing that one of the prime issues in terms of uh, officers leaving the military is their, the inability of their spouse to find uh, fulfilling employment, or, or, or uh, while moving around as a, a, a military spouse. So I, I think that makes a, a perfect sense as a relatively minor thing, and it also makes sense in terms of like states respect out-of-state driver's licenses. And so, you know, if, if we're going to accept driver's licenses from other states, then can't we uh, accept barber's licenses from, uh, from other states and so forth, right?
0: Absolutely. That's a good analogy.
1: Now, another uh, proposal that you offer in, in this uh, study for API is uh, what's known as a Sunrise Review of, of Licensing. And so tell us a little bit about this, uh, what sunrise review is, and you might need to talk about the sunsetting review because people who follow public policy might, might have heard of sunset reviews that, that uh, occur in Alabama and a number of other states and, and sometimes do are, are very contentious. So tell us a little bit about sunsetting and then uh, I guess the sun also rises is what you're going to propose here.
0: That's right, so a sunrise review would expose new legislation to review. So if, for instance, there was a proposal to um, license genetic counselors, let's say, in Alabama, the state would have to review or some other body would review and make sure that the benefits associated with that licensing legislation exceeded the cost. So, you know, some sort of basic, if they're done well, some sort of basic cost benefit analysis uh, of that new legislation to make sure that it's in the public's best interest. Mm -hmm. Sunset legislation, on the other hand, is a review of existing legislation. So perhaps the state of Alabama, as it did in 1982, might review barber licensing and make a recommendation that the costs associated with that regulation exceed the benefit. Now, unfortunately, what oftentimes happens with Sunset Review, in particular, is it is a little bit scattered. It doesn't necessarily occur with any regular interval. Uh, Other states that do it well, they might subject a certain percentage of occupational licensing rules or other legislation, to be frank, mm-hmm. to uh, some sort of sunset review or they might have uh, an expiration date uh, uh-huh. where you know the legislation will simply expire uh, unless it gets uh, renewed. Um, so, you know, sunrise legislation, I think, makes a lot of sense because what I found in looking at Licensing is that once it's on the books, and I think this is true of a lot of other regulations as well. Once it's established, it can be really hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the market changes. You know, the the regulation might not necessarily be working the way that it was intended to work. Um, I, I did a study several years ago where we documented all of the cases of delicensing that occurred over a 40-year period and we were only able to find eight. Um, sunrise process, or Sunset uh, Processes, excuse me, oftentimes recommended removing licensing, uh, but you know, there was no clear cut next step. There wasn't any action taken following those recommendations.
1: Well, and, and I think, especially given that there are these alternatives to licensing, and, and the fact that licensing represents this most extreme uh, form of of intervention. I, I think it makes perfect sense to say, well, hey, you know, you. you if, if, you, if a patient wanted to try to get some sleep, uh, prescription sleep aid, they have to go to a doctor and the doctor is going to diagnose the thing and they might not be able to get like the most uh, strongest uh, sleep aid right off the bat. They might have to, you know, the, the doctor is actually going to review their case and see if that's what they, they need or the same thing with, you know, prescription pain medicine. I mean, you're not going to just hand that out and you're going to rely on expert opinion and legislators aren't experts on on these things, they're they're drawn from all different walks of life. So I mean, I think this is something that, that, you know, just thinking about from the the standpoint of, oh gee, you wouldn't, you know, you you, you tell somebody to go to a a doctor before they get a prescription, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah, and you know, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to jump right to that most restrictive regulation.
1: Yeah, especially if, if you know you want to try to give a, a less in extensive form uh, some opportunity to, to work for a while. So, so we we're nearing the end of our time. So just uh, sort of to, to wrap up here, is there anything uh, you'd like to add?
0: I think if there's one important takeaway from all of this, it would be that licensing is not the same thing as regulation. I think too often the two get equated. There are all kinds of other regulatory alternatives that don't have the same costs. And it would be great if there would be some recognition that we can protect consumers without imposing the costs associated with licensing.
1: Well, thanks very much for coming on and talking about this with us. I enjoyed it very much. And thanks, you all, for joining us. Join us again next time for another eConversations.
0: This has been eConversations, a joint production of Troy Trojan Vision and the Manuel H. Johnson Center for Political Economy at Troy University.